It is often said that when we go through a time of difficulty, we discover who our true friends are. True friends don't sidle off when things become uncomfortable or upsetting. True friends don't disappear when you are no longer in a position to give them anything in return. Rather, true friends listen and support you when you feel pain and hardship. True friends fight for you and seek to do what they can to bring you through your difficulties. Proverbs is blunt. In times of trial, superficial friends soon fade away. Proverbs 19.4 Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of a poor person deserts them. Proverbs 19.7 The poor are shunned by their relatives, and how much more do their friends avoid them? Though the poor pursue them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. Lottery winners have discovered this to be true. When they come into money, all sorts of people start crawling out the woodwork, lording praise and affection on them. When the money runs out, they disappear. But our proverb today offers a different picture. By contrast to shallow money grabbers and pleasure seekers, real friends stick with each other through thick and thin. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs declares that a true friendship is one that is constant. In the Bible, there's a wonderful example of a friendship just like this. In 1 Samuel, David and Jonathan become friends. At first, it's a good time. David has just defeated Goliath, the talisman for Israel's greatest enemy. There's an air of celebration. But despite that, even right at the beginning, there are signs that the friendship between these two is going to operate on an unusually deep level. Listen again to some of what we read together from 1 Samuel 18. Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, taking off his robe and giving him his tunic and his sword, his bow and his belt. We need to understand the significance of what is happening in that moment. Jonathan is the crown prince. He is the son of King Saul. He is next in line to the throne. But as he hands over his tunic and his sword and his bow and his belt, he's making an extraordinary pledge of allegiance. He has recognised God's hand on his friend and he will give up his destiny to further David's. Along with his clothes and his weapons here, we need to see that really Jonathan is handing him his crown. He will serve and support David, even at the greatest cost to himself. But this is just the beginning. After the celebration of Goliath's defeat, things soon start getting very difficult indeed. Jonathan's father Saul becomes jealous to the point of paranoia over David. 
He sees that God has plans for David and Saul fears that his throne is about to be stripped away from him. Before long, Saul has turned against David to such an extent he's trying to kill him. This puts Jonathan in a very difficult position. He's torn between loyalty to his father and loyalty to his friend. And as we read on in the story, what we find is that though Jonathan is never rude to his father, he remains steadfastly loyal to his friend, David. At one point he declares to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. He goes on to defend David directly before his father Saul, to the point where his father even hurls a spear at Jonathan's head. Ultimately, when Saul does this, Jonathan knows that he has to put David above his father and he decides he'll do anything to keep his friends safe, even to the point of risking his life. And remember, Jonathan is doing this for the man who ultimately will take his rightful crown. What a sacrifice he makes for his friends. And the story ends with this enforced separation. David has to flee from Saul and Jonathan remains. And we sense the depth of emotion that's there when these two friends are wrenched apart in that second part to our reading. David bows down before his friend three times, honouring Jonathan for the lengths that he's gone for him. Then they embrace and they kiss and they weep together. They depart with words of peace and a sworn commitment that they would always stay loyal to one another and that David would look after Jonathan's children should it ever be required. As it happens, Jonathan did die young in battle, a death largely caused by the greed and sin of his own father. But David kept his word. In 2 Samuel 9 we read that he takes in Mephibosheth. He has him feed at the king's table, even though uh, Jonathan's son could do very little to serve David because he was born crippled in both feet. But it was a small price for David to pay, considering the friendship that Jonathan had shown to him. This was a true friendship, a tenacious, committed, loyal friendship, a faithful friendship, a sacrificial friendship full of kindness and when you see how Jonathan and David loved each other you get a little glimpse of how God loves us through thick and thin good times and bad bound to us in a covenant the final insight we get into this utterly constant friendship comes when David hears about Jonathan's death and this was his lament for him in 2 Samuel 1 I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. In this heart-wrenching moment, David calls attention to Jonathan's nearly inexplicable sacrificial commitment to him. Never did a relationship so aptly demonstrate our proverb 
that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. So what are we to do with this proverb and this story of David and Jonathan? It would be very easy for us now to start comparing all of our friends to Jonathan and start lamenting that none of them match up. That our friends don't offer us the support in difficult times that we think we need or deserve. But actually, a much better response for us to make would be to start looking at ourselves. To point the finger back in our direction and ask, what kind of friend am I? You know, there's a danger that we can become so wrapped up in our lives, make ourselves so busy furthering our career and our ambitions and our interests, that actually we don't have any time left for others. A sign that this might be the case is when our friends are afflicted with difficulty, whether through illness or bereavement or relational difficulties, but we just complain that They are demanding too much of us. Doesn't my friend know I've got a very important meeting this week? Doesn't he or she know I can't just drop everything for them? I wonder how many times we've thought along those lines. I know I have at times. We might enjoy the happy socialising when friendship is easy. But when our friends are struggling, sometimes we can be tempted to keep our heads down and take the easiest way out. Perhaps another question we could ask ourselves then is, have we kept our friendships in good order? Have we kept our friendships in good order in the better times when the sun is shining so that when trouble comes, they're ready for it? I wonder how many of our friends would turn to us in a crisis. David and Jonathan were clearly friends through thick and thin. Their relationship was deep. It was constant. And if we want to have a friendship anywhere near to this level, we need to realise that nothing in life is more important than our relationships. First with God and then with each other. We have to prioritise our relationships above everything else. I want to finish this sermon by getting really practical. What can we begin to do this week to start to work towards having constant friendships? And as I was preparing this, I picked up three bits of wise advice. First of all, if a friendship is going to be constant, it has to be maintained. That sounds obvious. But we need to realise that we have to commit time to it. Proverbs 27.10 says this, Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family. Now all of us will have different circles of friendship in our lives. It's inevitable that as time passes and circumstances change, some of those who are right in the inner circle of our friends will drift to the outer circles as we see less of them. Maybe we've moved away to a different part of the country. But we must ensure that that inner circle of friends doesn't gradually empty altogether. That we keep a few close friends, that we nurture those relationships, we keep them in good repair. 
as long as making new ones as well. And this will require conscious effort, particularly as we age. Deep relationships are not automatic. They are not automatically sustained. Without determined effort, as life gets busier, they dwindle away. The first thing that we have to do is put aside time to maintain our friendships. The second thing we must do if we want to enjoy constant friendships is that we will need to strengthen them from time to time. But how do we do this? Well, first of all, we need to be selective. None of us can invest the same amount of time and energy into every relationship. Therefore, we have to make deliberate decisions to prioritise certain friendships. That doesn't mean that we ignore everybody else, but it means that we share life at a deeper level with some. The second thing is that we'll need to make the decision to be open with our friends. If we want a greater level of intimacy with others, we will need to be prepared to be open with them ourselves. We'll need to be open enough to share our hopes and our fears, our passions, maybe even our greatest temptations. David and Jonathan were ruthlessly honest with each other, even when some of the news that they had to share was difficult to hear. Jonathan had to tell David that his father wanted to kill him, for example. What we will find in life is that as we risk being open ourselves, our friends will also share their struggles and our friendships will deepen. The third way to strengthen a friendship is to be interested. We all want people to listen to us and to take us seriously. But the only way that will ever happen is if we're also prepared to listen to them. And more than just listen, but actually take an interest in what they have to say. Constant friends ask good questions of one another. Yes, they start with the mundane. How's your day been? What are you doing over the summer? But then they go on from these to deeper questions. What do you think? How do you feel about that? What have you been learning from God's word recently? A sign of friendship where people are truly interested in each other is that when they've shared news, they stop to pray for one another. Maybe they even meet up regularly, specifically for that purpose, to pray for one another. The final piece of advice for strengthening a friendship is to be committed to one another. I read the work of a commentator called John Frame this week. And he said that friendships deepen when love is expressed through allegiance, affection and action. We certainly see that in the Jonathan and the David story. Jonathan pledged his allegiance to David. There was affection there as they kissed and wept together at the end. And they took action. Jonathan went out of his way to defend David. Well, we too must take practical action if we want to strengthen our friendships. Prioritise time to see them. Make a regular commitment to see your friends. 
Because you know uh, these days when we say, oh, we'll meet up when we're both free. That never, ever happens. We are never both free. Unless it goes in the diary, you won't get round to it. Make the conscious commitment to spend time with them. If possible, share meals with them. Jesus often bonded with his disciples over the meal table. There is a power to it. And of course then there's being prepared to offer practical help. Giving lifts, offering to look after their children, visit them in hospital, send an encouraging email or text when you know they are facing a difficult moment. All of these things on their own seem tiny. They even seem a little bit mundane, unspiritual almost. But when they come together, these close friendships develop. Hugh Black, another commentator on Proverbs, wrote this. Through little occasions of helpfulness, we are training ourselves for the great trial, should it ever come, when the fabric of friendship will be tested to the very foundation. We build our friendships in the good times so that when the tough times come, they're ready for it and we're there for each other. So if we want a constant friendship, our friendship needs to be maintained over time and it also needs to be strengthened with practical action. But there's one final bit of advice that's really important. If a friendship is going to last through thick and thin, at times it will need to be repaired. Friendships include human beings, and that means that there is a 100% guarantee of sin. Even in the best of friendships, there will be mistaken words and actions. There will be moments of thoughtlessness. There will be moments of tension. And of course, the closer the friendship, the deeper the pain is felt when one friend lets down or betrays another. We must be prepared to repair our relationships and quickly because holes grow fast. If we are the ones that are fault, even if it's only in part, we should be quick to apologise and do all that we can to put things right. If we ourselves have been wronged, it's important that our reactions to that are driven by grace and wisdom rather than emotion. If an apology is offered to us, it should be accepted without recrimination and without bearing a grudge. Some wrongs are too trivial to dwell on. We have to learn to let them go. Others, of course, are much more serious than that. And then other Bible passages come into play. Passages like Matthew 18, where it says, If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If you listen to them, you have won them over. So if a friend has badly hurt you, don't complain about it to others. Don't go and stir it up. Just keep the matter as private as you can. Have the courage to go to them. Talk to them about it. Explain how it's made you feel. Don't do it by text or by email. Do it face to face. And that way you've got the best chance of winning them over. And of course this advice is applicable to our marriages. It's applicable to our workplaces as well as our friendships.
At times, friendships will run into rocky ground. We have to learn that we need to take the steps to repair them and as quickly as we can. So to conclude, our proverb today was this. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. If we want to have a constant friend like that, if we want to have a friendship a little bit like David and Jonathan, our friendships will require maintenance, strengthening and at times repair work. There is no shortcut to this. No shortcut to intimacy. It requires commitment over the long haul. Aristotle once said, The desire for friendship comes quickly. Friendship does not. Working at friendships, it may be frustrating at times, but the pleasure and the security that we get from them always makes it worth it. We should not wait for others to relate to us like Jonathan and David did. The only way to have constant friends like that is to be a constant friend to them. Let's pray together.